for listening to the CT Podcast, a ministry of Church Triumphant, another opportunity for you to be equipped and encouraged to win, disciple, and send. For further information, go to www.churchtea.org. Good morning. My name is Phil Crosby, if you don't know me, and I've been asked to give the message today, and we'll just get right into the message. And the reason why I chose that video is I thought it did a good job of, of having the spirit of what I want to talk to you about today. And the title of this message is Emmanuel, Our Advocate. The Bible says that one of the names for Jesus is Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And so I want to speak to the fact that God is with us and he is our advocate. In the video, I I like the fact that number one, Jesus had a cool sweater on because that's how I think that Jesus is. I'm being funny, but I'm kind of not being funny. Like in heaven, I don't think he has seven robes for each day of the week that he changes in and out. I think he's, he wears normal clothes like we do because he's close to us. He's personal to us. And so I like the fact that that representation of Jesus looked like a normal person. Um, because most of the time, that's what, when, when I'm down in the trenches and I'm crying out and I'm a mess, I'm probably in a, a messed up shirt with, you know, crinkles all over it and, you know, whatever else. And I, I, I just think that Jesus is like me in that same sense in that moment. There's definitely times when he's wearing a, a, a king's robe and he's doing all of those things. But I think a lot of times he's probably in a T-shirt just like me because that's where we're at. Me and him, we're down in my bedroom or we're down in the basement in a T-shirt doing what we have to do a lot of times. And I want you to see that side of Jesus today. Just like the video said, he's not dead and he's not retired. I think we have a misrepresentation sometimes. We think that when Jesus went to the cross, he completed his work. And that was just the beginning of what he came to do. After he went to the cross, yes, he broke the veil. He paid for our sins. His blood washed away our sins. He made a way for us to be connected to God again. But then his work only intensified. His work is continual advocacy for us. At the right hand of the Father, he's not just, he didn't just take a break and sit down right there by the Father and say, whew, oh, I'll just get ready for, the t- for when I come back, so I'll just chill here for a while till, till it's time. No, he literally began saying, okay, I don't know if Jesus does it this way or not, but just for representation, it's it like, okay, where's all the names of all the people that I'm accounting for, all the people that I love? Where's their names? I, who can I pray for today? What's going on with Phil? What's going on with Aaron? What's going on with everyone in that room, I want to get right to work. I want to get right to the business of what my office is. I want to get right to the business of continually praying for them, fighting for them, advocating for them. And that's what he's doing and has been doing every day since. Every hour of our life, he's doing that. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, it says, Therefore he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for him. So apart from securing our salvation, Christ ever lives to intercede and to advocate for us all the days of our life. That's an amazing truth. 
that Christ is always advocating and interceding for us. We're never alone, though we may feel like it. We're never alone when we cry out and we think nobody's hearing us. There's always somebody that's, number one, already heard us, but is praying along with us as we pray in the midst of those moments. I wanted to um, break down the word advocate a little bit, and because that's one of my, my goals today is that you see Christ's work of advocacy as more than just Christ in a, a courtroom. Sometimes that word advocate brings to me Christ in a courtroom where he's where, where the Father is, is this judge and Christ is saying, yes, he, this one's clean, my blood has covered him, he's, it's, it's washed away and the judge doesn't see that. And yes, he certainly does that. That's one thing that he does for us. But advocacy goes so much deeper than just that aspect of what Jesus did for us. Look at some of the words it says in the definition of of an advocate. It's a person who publicly supports or recommends a particular cause or policy. So I would would submit to you that we are his cause and his policy. That's his office to fight for us. Some synonyms for advocacy is this. He would be our champion, our upholder, our supporter, our backer, our promoter, our proponent, our exponent, our spokesman, our campaigner, our fighter, our crusader, our propagandist. Think of all these things that this is, this is saying about what he is. And even the word propagandist, think about that. When I go for a job interview, Christ is literally praying for that for me in the midst of that and, and even has the ability to speak into the heart of that person who's interviewing me and say, that Phil, he's a great nurse. He does a great job. He's just, it's just propaganda. He's like, hey, he's great. And he's doing that on my behalf. He's doing all kinds of things like that on our behalf. It goes on to say advocacy is also an apostle, an apologist, a booster, a flag bearer, a liver. He's all of those things for you. And if you don't know what a liber is, I had to look that up too. A liber is just simply somebody that's out there fighting for a cause. You know, you've heard of women libers and, and different things through history. So there's, they're fighting for a cause. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, it says this, My little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So here's another scripture talking about the advocacy of Jesus and how he's always before the Father, supporting us, defending us. He knows every ins and out of what goes on in my day, what's going through my mind, what I fear, what I don't fear, what, what's on my heart, what's breaking my heart, what's uplifting my heart, all of those things. He's always constantly before the Father, advocating for me in every way, and especially in ways of righteousness. Because I always need a covering of his blood. As long as I live, I will always need that blood covering that he provides for me, as we all do. So, we've just got done in this church, we've talked about Nehemiah a lot. And so I thought I'd bring up Nehemiah for a minute, just as kind of an example of advocacy in the Old Testament. And if you look out throughout the Bible, it's amazing how that you will see that everything points to Jesus. Jesus. 
And many things in the Old Testament are, are foreshadows of what Jesus came to do. And you'll see that in the heroes of the Bible that, that we look at, Nehemiah being one of them as a representation of Christ's work of advocacy. So put in your mind for a minute that maybe you were one of Nehemiah's people, one of the, the Israelites that was, was following after Nehemiah at that time. So if you were one of those people, Nehemiah was your advocate to the king. He was going to the king on your behalf. He was speaking that the temple need rebuilt. He was representing you. He was going before the king. He had favor with the king. You, you probably didn't, but he did. And so you were relying on him to advocate for you in that way. He was also your inspiration on the wall. So while you were there and you had your tool and you were building your part of the wall, so you had a hammer in this hand and maybe a sword in this hand, um, you could look around, you could see Nehemiah walking around the wall with his tool and his sword, and he was doing the same thing that you were doing. And he was building the wall as you were building the wall. The other thing that Nehemiah was doing was he was standing with you while you built so you were tied to his mission as much as he was tied to your mission. So if you were one of Nehemiah's people, you literally stood or you were going to stand or fall as Nehemiah stood and fell. So you could look at him and you could see him building and you knew that he was just as much all, all chips in as you were. He was just as much down in the thick of it as you were. He was right there the whole time. And so... This is kind of a, an Old Testament shadow representation of what Jesus is for us. He's right there with us in the same ways. He's going around our workplace the same way that we are. And as we're building a wall, he's building a wall. Um, Hebrews 7.25, I read that to you a minute ago, but I want to read it to you again from the message format because um, I like the way that this kind of says the same thing, only a little bit different. It says, earlier there were a lot of priests, for they died and had to be replaced. But Jesus' priesthood is permanent. He's there from now to eternity to save everyone who comes to God through him, always on the job to speak up for them. And I love the way that that interpretation says that same scripture. It's showing you there were a lot of representations of Jesus, but they were all a shadow of the real thing. Nehemiah was a shadow of the real thing. The real thing is Jesus, whose priesthood will never end. And so he's advocating from now until eternity for those he loves, for us. And not only that, he's always on the job to speak up for them, always speaking up for us, always advocating for us, always speaking on our behalf. When we go into a battle, when whatever part of the wall that God has called you to build, and when I say that, I'm, I'm just speaking of we're all in a mission field. You, your mission field is your job, it's your family, it's, it's in here, it's every, everywhere you go, whatever circle of people you're in, that's your mission field. And, and so wherever you're at, you're, you're basically clocking in on that mission field. Jesus is already clocked in with you. He's building that wall with you. In fact, he never clocks out like you clock out at times like I do. Okay, I did all I can do today. I'm going to go to sleep. So then we go to sleep and we get up and we clock in the next day and we do more things for the Lord. Well, he never clocks out. He just works all the way through the night and he's waiting for you when you get up. Always with you. It's amazing. It's an, it's an awesome thing to get that revelation. And we have to get that revelation. 
Because when we're alone in the fight, or when we, we're never alone, but we think we are, that's when we're the weakest. We're weakest when we think that we're alone and we try to function in our own strength. I'm sure you have, as I say this, but have you ever felt weary in praying for yourself or praying for other people? Has that ever worn you out? It has me at times. We all get weary like that, and sometimes that we'll have that temptation to believe that we're the only one or nobody else understands. Couldn't be further from the truth. One example of this in the Bible would be the story of Elijah. I won't read through all the scripture on Elijah, but I'll give, give you a little paraphrase of, of the story of Elijah. So Elijah was one of God's prophets, another foreshadow of Christ. And in his time, there were all kinds of wicked um, Baal priests that were opposed to the Lord God. And so Elijah, basically, he was, I would like to see a really good movie about Elijah someday. Because, like, I think this guy was, like, the biggest gunslinger there was. Like, he was just walking, you know, like, with that Clint Eastwood look and into the room and being like, you know, let's go. Come on, high noon. And that's, that's really what he did. I mean, he was pretty bold. He walked right up and was like, okay, let's do it. Bring them, bring them all. You know, so they bring all the prophets of Baal, all 450 of them. They're there, and there's Elijah. He doesn't have anybody with him necessarily. And then there's the people. The people are watching this whole showdown thinking, whoa, what is going to happen here? Well, long story short, what happens is the, the prophets of Baal, they do all their thing and all their, their mantra and for hours and they scream and shout and whatever, and nothing happens. And then Elijah comes on and he simply, you know, he, he actually tells him to put more um, water on this, this fire that he was going to call on this, wood, this altar. He's like, oh, just throw some more water on it. That's not enough. Like he's really rubbing it in. In fact, I think he... They, what does he say? Does he say, you know, he asked if their God is going to the bathroom? I think it, it literally says that. So he's literally like rubbing it in their face. And anyway, so God shows up. He's on time and faithful like he always is. And everybody sees a representation of God's power. Well, then after that happens, Elijah says, kill the prophets of Baal. And they go and they wipe out all 450 of them. And so there's this mountaintop experience, and you're thinking, wow, this is amazing. But then right after that, Jezebel says, okay, you're dead, Elijah. I'm coming after you. And it's like all of a sudden, everything flips, and Elijah is suddenly running scared. It's like he runs away to hide, and we're like, wait a minute. What just happened here? This is this mighty gunslinger, and all of a sudden, it just takes one word from this woman, and he's running and hiding. And so... Before we get too hard on Elijah, I think that we might have done the same thing. I I can't say that I wouldn't have done the same thing. Because even though we can have those mountaintop experiences, we, we always have the temptation and we always have that pressure of the enemy bringing it on us that we're alone. And so I think probably what ran through his mind was... I just wiped out 450 prophets. Now, what am I going to do with 100,000 troops? I got a whole army after me now. I can't, you, you can't do that. So I'm going to run away. You know, and, that, and we would think, well, God just showed up. It had been all right, Elijah. But no, if you were in that particular situation, you would probably be very tempted to run away too. I, I know I would. That would be very scary to go from 450 prophets to a whole army after you. So anyway, 
my point in all this is it went very quickly from somebody we wouldn't think would fall to just like that, that he was, he felt alone and he literally was ready to die. Like he, he literally ran off so he could die because he thought that that was a better escape than even still hiding, which is crazy. But that's how bad he felt and how alone he felt. And that's how we feel sometimes. Sometimes we feel like everything depends on us and that we're alone. We, we, we oftentimes feel like that. And this particular lie, it crippled Elijah. And I wanted to show you that to you because no one is immune to going through that. In fact, if you're walking with Christ, you will have to face that at some time and you will have to overcome it by the knowledge that Christ is with you in the word of your testimony. And so this, this literally sent Elijah into early retirement. Um, he, he passes on his mantle and he gets out of, out of doing what he was doing he, and he goes to heaven early. I'm not even sure he was supposed to go to heaven when he went to heaven, but God had mercy on him and was like, oh, okay, give it to Elisha and come on. Because he's good, you know, he understands us. Um, anyway, it was a lie because there were 7,000 other prophets who hadn't bowed their knee to Baal and they were there. But Elijah, in that moment, he couldn't remember that. He couldn't believe that. He just couldn't, couldn't grasp hold of that. And I think that we, like Elijah, one of our greatest weaknesses is that same belief, that we're alone in the fight, that there's no one else with us, no one else can help us. And most attacks on your faith is gonna, are, are going to try to assert this lie somewhere. I don't care what you go through. The devil is going to try to assert somewhere in that battle that you're alone, that, that God's asleep, he's not with you. It's, he's going to try to assert that somewhere. So I want you to know that going in, that, that that's one of the devil's biggest plays. That's like probably one of the most number one plays other than unforgiveness. That's, that's a whole nother sermon, but that's probably play number two. But anyway... We, we face the, t- the same type of temptation, but we have things going for us that even Elijah didn't have. Number one thing we have going for us is we have the church. That's why our pastor worked so hard to teach us that circles are better than rows, because we're all together in this. I can much more easily fight through something if I know that my friends are right here with me fighting with me. And that's why God designed the church to be a family so that we're never alone in this. So we have the church. We also have the Holy Spirit on the inside of us. We literally have God on the inside of us that, that we can feel, that, that moves on behalf of God on the inside, because He is God. The Holy Spirit is God on the inside of us. And then we have Christ actively interceding and fighting for us every moment of our life. Christ is interceding on our behalf, and we have that knowledge because he's went to the cross, and now he's on this part of his mission, which is interceding for us. So we have all of those things going for us. So we have, mu- we have much more hope than probably Elijah had in that moment. Not that God couldn't provide what Elijah needed in that moment, but I'm just saying we have so much for us that we can have strength in if we allow that. Those are the things that God has given us for strength. But if, we do, but if we don't stand, and particularly because I'm speaking about um, the presence of God and, and, and God Jesus advocating for us, particularly if you don't believe that Jesus is with you, you're going to go into despair. 
And so you have to know that you're vulnerable to that. You have to know you're vulnerable to the lie that you're alone. So yes, the church is with us. Yes, we have God on the inside of us. But I want you to know that Christ is advocating for you too. That's, that's knowledge that should be cemented in your heart. And this will keep you from despair. This will keep the hope alive in you that you need. You have to believe that he's with you and that he is on the move. And when I say he's on the move, it means he's active. doesn't mean he's just sitting there. He's literally active in whatever you're going through. And as I wrote these words, getting this sermon ready, and I said he is on the move, I couldn't help but to flip back to, to Narnia. So, you get, so I'm going to read some Narnia to you. So this is where the, the, the kids are with the beaver, and they're talking about Aslan. It's a good representation of, again, that Christ is very personal to us in his advocacy. And it says, They say that Aslan is on the move. Perhaps he's already landed, said the beaver. And now a very curious thing happened. None of the children knew who Aslan was any more than you do. But the moment the beaver had spoken these words, everyone felt quite different. At the name of Aslan, each one of the children felt something jump in its inside. Edmund felt a sensation of mysterious horror. Peter felt suddenly brave and adventurous. Susan felt as if some delicious smell or some delightful strain of music had just floated by her. And Lucy got the feeling you have when you wake up in the morning and realize that it is still the beginning of the holidays or the beginning of summer. And I love that that part of the story because it was all personal to them. When, when they spoke the name of Aslan, it became personal to them. To, to one, it was, they felt like music. To the other one, they f- suddenly felt courageous. This is what Jesus does for us in the midst of our, our battles. It's very personal. So you have to believe that he's with you, fighting for you in a personal grassroots way, and that he's always on the move. Amen. Before Christ was, cru- was crucified, we see a foreshadow of his work of advocacy on the cross. This is found in Luke chapter 22, verse 31, and it says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. And I love what this, this picture of what Scripture is showing us here. Jesus wasn't telling Peter, you're not going to go through something. It was like, he was saying, I already know that you're going to go through something. And I'm already praying that you're going to survive this and you're going to come out stronger. So, and he didn't even give, he didn't even give it like Peter wasn't going to do it. Like when you, when you come through this, go strengthen your brothers, right? And we know the story of Peter. You know, Peter heard the, the rooster crow three times and, and had this failure and sat there in, in self-pity for a while till he came out of it. But he did, but it, it worked out exactly how Jesus said it would work out in his life. And so the same can be said for us. Christ is praying that our faith fail not. Whatever we're going through, he's praying that our faith doesn't fail in that moment. And the same thing, he's not taking away every battle from us. Battles have purposes. I can't begin to explain to you what what the end of your battle is and why you must go through it. I can only say that, that he knows and that he will get you through it for a purpose. And he will strengthen you through that battle. And so you stand on the fact of that. You stand on the fact that your liberator, your crew, battle. 
Like I said earlier, when Jesus went to sit at the right hand of the Father, he didn't go there to take a rest. His work is, is intensified, and his office now is to advocate. He's not resting, waiting for us to catch up. That's another misnomer that sometimes I think I've thought in the past is, okay, he's just waiting for me to do my work, and I'll get to heaven, and other people are going to do that, and then Jesus is going to come back. No, this is a continual thing. We're a part of history. We're a part of God's history. At every moment, that history is going on. And I'll tell you how this message was birthed and, and, and really put on my heart. And that's kind of how God does when, when I know that I'm going to speak. It's like God will give me a word, and he'll begin preaching it to me so that it gets in my heart, and I can actually give it to you with real passion because it's the same thing he's preached to me because it has to be real in my heart before I dare try to make it real in your heart. So what happened was I was, I was this was actually a, a bathtub prayer, so some, some great prayers happened in the bathtub. I, 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 did, I got up and kind of spent some time with the Lord, but then I ran to take a bath before work. And I was sitting there, I was still thinking of some things that the Lord was telling me. And, and I felt like the Lord said this, the Lord was like, I want you to pray for two hours today. Um, I want you to pray for, for certain people. And my immediate thought was like, Lord, I'm tired. I have prayed for these people, so I'm tired of praying for these people. I'm really tired. And I don't mean that in a mean way. I'm being real with you. I'm just tired. Like, what else can I say? I've already said everything I could think to say for that person. And, um, and, and, I, and I have the time to do that. I'm a home health nurse. So I have two hours throughout the day between patients and things that I could definitely do this. And I was thinking, okay, so I'm going to have to buckle up my bootstraps. And I'm just going to pray, pray through for these people. And I felt like Jesus said very gently to me and very lovingly to me, listen, I just want you to come with me. I just want you to come with me. And I was like, what do you mean? I thought I'm supposed to, you know, grind the, the pound the pavement here so that you hear what I'm saying. And he's like, no, you're, I'm, I'm with you. I'm doing this. You're just invited to come along and participate with me in this. And I began to realize that's what prayer has always been. It's never been about me trying to pray, 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 so I reach Jesus and, and, and that he's finally going to hear me. Or maybe I've prayed so many times that, oh, now it's going to break through. I'm, he's, he's been doing it already. Harder than I could ever pray. And I, I, and I just get to go along with him. And it lifted such a weight from me that day. That was some of the best prayer I've had in a long time because I didn't feel like it was all dependent upon me. It never was, but I guess I could understand that clearer that day. And so I knew that he was leading the prayer. He was the one that was saying things that I couldn't say because sometimes I'll pray and I don't, I don't know anything else to say. So I'll pray in the spirit or worship for a while or whatever. But I knew he was leading that prayer. And that it was, it was his work. And it lifted a great weight. And I hope it does for you too. I want you to know when you're praying for people and you haven't seen the breakthrough, and some of you haven't seen a breakthrough for years. I've got some prayers like that now. Very important, very intense for me. That I haven't seen the break. I've been praying for over years for certain things. And I'm still praying. But it never has been me leading that battle. It's always been Christ. And I want you to know that too. Whatever it is for you, he's leading that. Some of the other things he was showing me in that, that moment and really throughout that day was that he loved the people being prayed for more than me. All those people that, I, that I'm praying for, he loved them more than me. That I was working with him and not the other way around. 
and the revelation that prayer is advocacy that I get to participate in. I literally get to participate with the greatest advocate ever and be along for that journey. It's like being invited on a, an adventure with a, with a great hero, and I get to be a part of that. And so just by being a part of that, I'm, I'm also a hero too, and I get rewarded too, but it's connected to the great hero. Jesus wants us to participate in his mission. What you think is your mission is really his continued mission. And I would just submit to you this, that you wouldn't even have the desire if he didn't have it first. You know the people that, that wear you out, that you're praying for, that you love, and you think nobody, that nobody understands? Jesus loves them way more than you could ever love them. And, and you wouldn't even have the desire to pray for them if he didn't put it there. He's given you an opportunity to participate with him. One example in the Bible of this um, is when Jesus was in the garden and he went to went to pray. He asked um, three of his disciples to go with them with him. And we all again we beat people up in the Bible all the time, but we're probably just as guilty in the same thing because we're like I know I've thought and probably in my younger days like. What a bunch of losers. You guys can't stay up for one hour. And then he comes and, and tells you, like, he, he, you know, you get in trouble and you still do it again. What in the world is wrong with you, weak-kneed little Christians? That, anyway, we, I'm just saying that this wasn't an easy thing to do, and we're, we're just as guilty. And that's why God, you know, shows us the humanness of the apostles and everyone else because he we know, he, we he knows that we need to see that cuz we're just as we do the same thing but but when he asked them to pray they they were falling asleep because they probably felt like it wasn't that important they were alone they were tired if they really knew what was happening they they might have tried to stay awake a little bit more but they just you know okay we'll try but what they lost sight of in that moment was that he was just ahead of them fighting through the same prayer. I think he went ahead of them, and they were over here, and they got this picture like, okay, we're alone. Jesus is over there. Jesus was doing the same thing that they were doing, and they lost sight of that in that moment. The other thing that I think they lost sight of, and my dad brought this up. My, my dad's kind of my sounding board. I love talking to him. I'll read through some of my sermons with him, and I'll be like, what do you think? And he's like, you know what? He had, we both started listening to the Narnia stories again this week, which is interesting because this is some of the stuff that I've been talking about. And, I'm, and he was like, I, I just started listening to that too on book on tape. And I was like, wow, isn't God cool? Now we got something to talk about. But <laughs> I was talking to him about this part of what I'm just trying to express through the apostles, what they were doing. And, and Jesus was like, or my dad was like, that's just like that part of the story where Lucy and Susan are walking with Aslan right before he gets killed, right before he goes through all this torment. They were walking with him, and he just wanted he just wanted their their companionship. He just wanted them to comfort him in that moment. And I was like, "That's a really good analogy, Dad, because that's exactly how it was. That's why he wanted um, the three apostles there. He didn't necessarily need their prayers. He wasn't looking for the guys that could pray the best out of all his disciples, and." I, I don't know. In a weird way, I think we think that sometimes. We're like, okay, these were the top three prayers. So, you know, he put the top three down here because that's going to give him a little bit more support here. It wasn't that at all. For whatever reason, 
Jesus just wanted those three's companionship. That's all he was asking for. And so um, same thing with us. When we, we're called to pray, just realize he's already walking that mission. He's already doing what he's asking you to do, and he wants your companionship with that. That's one of the biggest gifts we can give back to God. We worship that we show our love that way to him. When we're obedient, we show our love that way to him. And being his companion shows our love to him. We're, we're his companion in those moments. And don't think that it's not hard for Jesus. When Jesus was at that moment, he prayed so hard that blood was coming out of his pores. I think that that kind of stuff still goes on. Just because Jesus is in heaven doesn't mean he's not intensely brokenhearted about the people we're praying for. I think he, he put, I think it's tiresome. And I think it's wearisome. And yes, he's God. He will pull through and he will do it and he will make it. Whether we did anything or not. But we can, just like Lucy and Susan, we can provide some some companionship to him along the way. And we can do the same thing. The Bible says in Matthew 11, um, verse 28, says, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Again, just to kind of tie together what, what I want you to, to see today. You know, we're, we're yoked with him. We're walking with him. And again, I don't want you to have the bad connotation that I've probably had at different times in my life, which is that I'm praying to God. I'm coming to God versus God is walking with me. And that's what it is. Jesus is yoked to us. He's literally walking with us as we're giving um, prayers to God the Father. We're never alone. In all of those prayers, we're going with him, not just trying to reach him. We've already reached him. He's already been reached. He's with us, doing it with us. Makes a huge difference to understand that. Huge difference. Every prayer is yoked to his mission, not ours. We carry a small amount of need and obedience. He carries a wellspring of faith, hope, and love. So we just carry a little bit into that battle. He carries everything else that is needed in that battle. Again, it's not dependent upon you. It's dependent upon him. But we go with him and what faith he gives us, that we become a part of that. Again, I want to emphasize to you that the, the battles for others were never your responsibility more than they were his. I want you to understand, if you've cried tears for somebody, Jesus has cried more tears for that person. He, it, it's Your desire to pray for them was birthed out of his desire to pray for them, his love to pray for him. And he's just using you as someone to go to be his companion in that. He never stops advocating for any of us. I want you to know that he is fighting his battles. He is with you and that you are with him. He's the closest friend that you'll ever have. Thanks for listening to the CT Podcast, a ministry of Church Triumphant, another opportunity for you to be equipped and encouraged to win, disciple, and send. For further information, go to www.churcht.org.